This is episode number four with All-American cross-country runner, 228 marathoner, author of the official Rock and Roll Guide to Marathon and Half Marathon Training, publisher of the Morning Shakeout Newsletter, and the 2012 Costa Rican Men's Olympic Marathon coach, Mario Fraioli. Hey everyone, this is Jason. I hope you're doing well. I have a really great show for you today. We've got some really good guests over the last couple episodes with Nick Simmons in episode one, Shalane Flanagan in episode three, and today is no different. We are chatting with my friend Mario Fraioli. Mario was previously a senior editor at Competitor Magazine, but now he's the founding head coach of Ekadin Coaching, and that's what we're talking about today coaching for runners. This topic is near and dear to me, not because I am a coach, but because I started running on a team and over eight years had more than 10 coaches for cross country, indoor and outdoor track, and strength and conditioning. I've learned a lot from these coaches, and I think having a coach was an experience that not just helped guide my running, but made me a more informed and ultimately faster runner. So in this conversation, Mario and I discuss coaching for runners. You'll learn who benefits most, how to make the most of any coaching relationship, and the biggest lessons we've learned from the numerous coaches that we've had over our careers. This interview is an excerpt from a longer format for the team strength running community. And if you decide to invest in coaching for yourself, whether that's through strength running or elsewhere, I hope this discussion helps you find a great coach and also be a coachable runner yourself. Let's dive in. So what are some of the early lessons that you learned about running from some of your first coaches? That, and and this is the biggest thing that I still preach today with my own athletes, is that consistency is the key. If you want to improve, whatever that means for you, you've got to get out there on a consistent basis and work at it. And that means different things for different people. But that was one of the first lessons that I learned. And I and I saw the results of it. Once I developed that consistency and I started to see the improvement, it made me want to get out the door more often. It made me want to try different types of workouts. It made me want to push myself a little bit harder. But, I mean, it all comes down to consistency. So I would say that's the main lesson that I learned early on, and it stuck with me. I mean, God, what are we at now? 18 years later, so. <laughs> yeah, my. I mean, I'm always saying that consistency is is the real secret sauce to successful running. And if you just want to even glimpse your potential, you're going to have to train consistently for many, many years. Um, I, I think there was an interesting quote by uh, Coach Greg McMillan, who, when new athletes join his elite group, he says, you need to give it two years for you to even glimpse your potential. And I, and I think it's very instructive that these aren't runners who are just starting to run. They are already performing at a really high level, and they most likely ran four years in high school and four years in college. And so he's saying, basically, give yourself a decade of consistency. And then at that point, you'll be able to see what you might be able to, uh, you know, achieve in the sport of running. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's a great lesson, uh, for all runners to keep in mind. Um, I've seen that myself as an athlete. I've seen it with athletes that I work with. It's one of the first things I tell a lot of my own athletes. And these aren't even 
super elite folks at all. But if you want to see improvement, you've got to give me, you know, at least a year to work with you, um, preferably longer than that so that we can really, you know, really be thinking ahead to where you want to go and really drilling down that lesson that, you know, success does not happen overnight. It takes consistent work over a prolonged period of time to really see results. Yeah, and it was actually interesting in college. My college coach uh, would not let someone run cross-country if they had not also run indoor and outdoor track. It was kind of a package deal, and you know we were running at the Division three level. And, and Mario, correct me if I'm wrong, but you ran Division two, correct? That is correct. Yeah, so even at the D3 level, my coach knew um, that, look, if you want to be good, if you want to be on this team and contribute to it, then, you know, you need to take running seriously. And, and part of that is, is, is not having running be a hobby that you do a couple months out of the year, but it really needs to be a lifestyle, something that, uh, you're constantly working on. And, um, you know, cause if you're not building your fitness, uh, regularly, then, you know, you're just going to go through so many periods of detraining and you're just never really going to improve. Exactly. Yeah, it's hard to it's hard to make gains if you're not constantly working at it. Yeah, and I, I think now, <clears throat> I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty, and and now both of us are coaches, and and we have to recognize that training strategies often evolve over time. Uh, as you look back, are are there any specific workouts or philosophies or strategies or or anything like that that um, maybe a previous coach used to do, but but now you don't subscribe to? Um, that's a, you know, that's a great question. I, you know, so when I first started running back to those, those early days, I had, I had no idea what, what it meant to train, what speed workouts were, any of that stuff. And I was fortunate to fall under the wing of a local club coach who introduced me to track workouts and speed workouts, uh, and the value of running faster than just an easy pace when you go out and then just trying to blast a race when you step on the starting line, sort of those, those in between things. And obviously that's something as a coach that speed workouts take very many forms. Um, but we were on the track every week. And one thing that I've realized now, um, over the years is like, you don't necessarily need to go on a track to run faster. Um, and I think, and, and not that I'm against the track at all, but I think people can become overly reliant on it and they equate speed work with the track and, that's their, you know, that's their sole mechanism for doing something like that. Um, but I'd say that's probably the biggest lesson learned is that you don't need to overdo, you know, overdo the speed work. Um, I don't know if that answers your question, but. No, it does. I think, I think that's valuable. You know, looking back on some of the, the, the seasons that I've gone through, I, I can definitely say that some of them overemphasized speed work, you know, um, you know, doing, three or four hard days a week on 25 or 30 miles per week is a huge emphasis on speed over volume and I think general endurance, which uh, I'd like to see a little more balance in that kind of a, that kind of a scenario. Um, you know, it, at least for me, you know, everything from as small as a lot of static stretching before you go running to, totally. um, you know, that's something that we used to do a lot in high school. And, and I think now, you know, most coaches and, and even high school and college programs have moved away from. Um, but <clears throat> I'd say the other big one that uh, I want to touch on just really quickly was, and I'd love your thoughts on this, Mario, uh, junk miles. And at least in high school, there was almost this 
this feeling that you shouldn't do any extra mileage because it's just junk. It's going to make you tired. It's not going to help your performance. But I, I always felt intuitively that running more was going to make me stronger. And whenever I did tack on some junk miles over the summer or, or you know, through the first half of a season, I actually got a lot better. Uh, I, so I'd, I'd love to hear how you think about junk miles. Yeah, that's a, that's another great question. Um, I think early on in a runner's career, whether it's in high school or college, or if you're an adult just getting started for the first time, the best thing that you can do to improve your performance, in addition to consistency, is to run more. Um, and and you know, as you're more consistent, you are going to be running more. But increasing your mileage is one of the biggest and easiest ways to make those early aerobic gains that set the foundation for everything else you're going to layer on top of it. So those miles do have a purpose, and especially early on, I wouldn't consider them junk because most most new runners, um, nine and a half out of ten times, would benefit from running a little bit more than they are. So in that case, um, the miles aren't junk. But I think flipping that scenario to a more experienced runner who may have a lot of miles in their legs and has been doing the speed work and maybe they've hit a plateau and they're not making gains. They think the solution is, well, maybe I just, I need to run, you know, I just need to run more miles. That's, that's the reason that I'm not improving anymore. And I think in that case, um, those can be junk miles. I think the biggest thing, whether you're just getting started or whether you've been at this for a while, every time you step out the door to train, um, or even on the days that you're resting, you've got to ask yourself, why am I doing this? Why am I going to put in, you know, an extra four miles this evening? Why am I resting today? Why am I going to the track to do the speed work? And if you can't answer that question, uh, I think you need to reevaluate what it is you're doing. So, you know, as that relates to junk miles, I think you've just got to ask yourself, you know, why am I doing this and how is it going to benefit me? And I think in most situations, um, for most of the runners out there listening to this, chances are going out there and running a few more miles at the right point of your training cycle is going to benefit you. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, I think we should briefly mention periodization and, you know, there's a time in a training cycle when it's beneficial to have more miles. You know, if you're in the earlier uh, base phase or kind of pre-competition phase of training, uh, skewing your focus a little bit more towards mileage is probably beneficial. Uh, but I, I think there's also um, this concept of periodizing your running career. And, mm -hmm. you know, if you've been running for 20 years and you've been really consistent and you have already put in all the big miles and, and now you're training for longer races, you might not, not, not need to run those big miles that you used to run, uh, you know, years and years ago. You might be able to get away with less mileage and a little bit more quality. Um, but I'd love to know how you feel about this kind of periodizing your entire career uh, idea. Yeah, that's a it's a great topic because I don't think a lot of runners and coaches think about running a running career in on that macro of a level. And as a coach, uh, when you start working with an athlete, you know, it's interesting. I think athletes, many athletes want to see immediate gains right away because they've, you know, they've hit some sort of plateau and they want to bust through that. And a lot of a good coach anyway is going to look at an athlete and say, okay, well, how do we, how do we make those gains over a longer period of time so that you're, you know, that you're continually improving and, and not hitting these, you know, not hitting these plateaus. And I think a lot of it depends on, on when you started running and sort of where you are 
with your goals. Um, so for example, I, I work with quite a few masters runners who have been, many of them have been running since high school. They've got a lot of lifetime miles on their legs. So when I look back at their history of their career and, you know, I learn a lot of different things, whether they were a high mileage runner or a high intensity runner. Um, most of them, if they've been running a, mile, a, a while, they have a lot of miles on their legs. So, you know, at this point of their, their running career and knowing what they want to achieve as a master's athlete, you know, oftentimes we'll scale back the volume. And as you said, focus a little bit more on the quality and on the intensity and making sure that we, you know, don't lose that edge that typically can deteriorate when you get older. But I also work with a lot of younger athletes who they, they're very hungry. They want to race right away. They're not looking 10 years ahead, 15 years ahead. My main thing with them is, okay, how can I, one, you know, give you the foundation that you need to build upon here in the five or 10 years that follow, even if we're not working together? Um, two, and very closely related to that, keep you healthy so that you're not, you know, that you're not injured anytime soon and can't go after your, go after your goals. And three, how do we, you know, how do we structure those things, uh, you know, in regard to what do we need to focus on now? Uh, and how does that lead into, you know, the next focus? So it's very, you know, it's very individualized, but I think it's, you know, I think it's to an athlete and a coach's benefit to be thinking of, you know, always be thinking of the long term and how what you're doing now fits into that overall plan. And I think that's one of the most beneficial things that a coach brings to the table is having that perspective to, uh, kind of not, bring the athlete away from thinking about, you know, the next week or the next month and really think about, well, what do you want to do this year and how is that going to bring you closer to your really long-term goals? Right. Um, and so, yeah, I'd love to transition a little bit and talk more about, um, you know, the benefits of coaching and, and how runners can really utilize uh, virtual coaching and, you know, the latest tech changes recently in the last couple of years have enabled almost anyone to uh, be coached and be coached relatively affordably. Um, mm -hmm. So when you start working with an athlete, Mario, what are some of the common two to three areas of low hanging fruit that you look at first to, to get them to continue improving? Well, I think the, I think the biggest thing is trying to convince people, convince runners of the benefits of, coaching. I think there's a misconception out there that coaching, even virtually, is only for super elite athletes, that the average runner can't benefit from that. So I think kind of knocking down those walls and making coaching something that is approachable um, and certainly affordable, but letting athletes know that you can benefit from having some, you know, someone provide objective feedback on your training, uh, on your training history and, and trust them to create a schedule and a long-term plan for improvement. So I think that's, I don't know if that answers your question, but I think that's the, that's kind of the number one thing, um, that can be done in that regard. Yeah, I think uh, I think it's always really interesting, and you're definitely preaching to the choir here. Uh, you know, we're both virtual coaches. Uh, I think you do a little bit more in-person coaching, but uh, it's just really it's kind of ironic to me because you know you look at world-class athletes and they have coaches, whether they're run you know most runners or you know any kind of you know NFL, Major League Baseball player, they all have coaches and they all have multiple coaches. But then you look at 
true beginners in, in, in any sport. You know, think back to your childhood when you wanted to learn how to play soccer. What did you do? Your parents probably signed you up for, you know, some sort of, you know, kids soccer league. And there was a coach and, and they provided a little bit of structure and guidance around you learning the sport. And it's interesting that now as adults, most people think that, you know, only good people get coaches. Well, they got good for a reason. And it, probably part of that was because they had some guidance and objective feedback along the way to help them get there. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I completely agree that uh, it, it's I think it's a barrier that, you know, we need to break down and, and get runners to realize that getting that perspective is going to be super helpful for their training. Um, now, when we are talking about like training specific types of things, mm-hmm. when you start working with someone, um, you know, what, what kind of training elements, I guess, should have been my more appropriate question, do you uh, look at to help them continue improving? You know, like from, you know, do you kind of classify them as a certain type of runner and then go from there? Or how do you think about that? Yeah, that that first step of getting to know the athlete is the most important. Um, I, you know, when I start working with a new athlete, um, I do two things. One, I, I have a questionnaire that I send all of them to fill out, and it gives me some more information about you know, where they are currently, um, with their, with their training and racing and also gives me a little snapshot into their training history and potential injuries and things like that. And then we follow that up with a conversation to dig even deeper into that. So I think the most important thing is, is getting to know the athlete and, you know, what their background is and, and sort of where they're coming from, what types of training they've done, what in their eyes seems to have been you know, working for them, uh, what types of workouts that they've struggled with. It's, it's, you know, I think it's important to, you know, understand the psychology behind it. I mean, there are athletes who, you know, they, they see longer intervals on a program or they see tempo runs and they just, you know, it automatically freezes them. They're like, I'm just not good at that kind of stuff, even though they know it's beneficial for them. Or, you know, that same type of athlete might get really excited to go to the track and do short intervals and that type of stuff excites them. And, um, because of that, they feel it's beneficial. So, so kind of understanding all of that. And I mean, from, you know, what I've seen with most of the athletes that I've, I've worked with, once I'm able to sort of identify those things, it informs me when I'm, you know, creating their training program. It's like, okay, well, what are, you know, what are the things, you know, what are the types of workouts that you, you know, that you've struggled with in the past? Why have you struggled with them? And what can we do you know, to make them, you know, to help you get more out of them so that they can help you improve, you know, your performance. So I think it's, you know, I think it's looking at all of those different things, um, you know, kind of creating this, I think every coach does it in their own way, but kind of creating this athlete profile. It's like, okay, this is the type of athlete that they are. Um, you know, they, they seem to thrive off higher volume, um, not crazy fast speed work or whatever the case may be and and sort of taking things from there based on what their goals are. Yeah. Now I I know that you know we kind of talked about how all runners could could really benefit from from having a coach and and having someone set up training that's going to help their them specifically. But are, are there types of runners who probably shouldn't get a coach? I mean, what are your thoughts on um, people who who may have friction with a coach? Yeah. Well, at a very fundamental it's important fun, fundamental level it's important to remember that. Coaching is a relationship uh, between coach and athlete, and there has to be, I think, mutual trust and respect on both sides. But certainly for the athlete, they've got to be willing to give up, 
you know, on some level control of their training. And that's hard for a lot of people to do. And if you can't do that, it's going to be really hard to take instruction um, and to really process feedback and to make the changes that the coach feels you need to make in order to improve. So I think it's, you know, I think in order to be, you know, I don't know if we're saying what are the characteristics of a, of a good athlete or a coachable athlete is they've got to, they've got to trust the coach. They've got to trust in the process. Um, even if it's different from what they've done in the past or they can't immediately see the light, so to speak, um, they have to trust that eventually that ball was going to go off and that what the coach is having them do, the changes that they've made, the progression that they're taking is going to help get them toward their goal. So it's, it's really this, you know, especially at first before you can even get started and, and see the fruits of your labor, it's, you know, it's trusting in the coach and trusting in the process and believing that this is going to be a beneficial relationship. Yeah. Trust, I think is, is, is absolutely fundamental. The other thing that I'll say from experience is really critical, especially with virtual coaching. Uh, if you get an online coach, uh, is communication. You yep. know, your coach is not able to see how you look uh, at the end of a workout, uh, or they're not really going to be able to read your body language, or you know, see how you're non-verbally communicating. And I, I think it is really helpful for athletes who are getting uh, coached online to really be good at communicating how they felt. Um, you know, what workouts they're enjoying, what they're not enjoying, and, and really to give as much information as possible. Because, you know, often a coach will kind of try to read between the lines of, of what an athlete is talking about when they're describing how they felt during a race or during a workout, uh, how they think their training is going. And, uh, you know, I'll say that just in my coaching experience, the runners who have the most success are the runners who are in frequent contact with me as a coach. Mm -hmm. um, you know, nothing kind of grinds my gears more than the athlete who I have to chase down to get, you know, updates on their training. Uh, you know, if they're not communicating that way, then there's just fewer opportunities for me to, to kind of guide them to where they should be going. Right. These, I mean, these are all excellent points. And coaching, you know, communication is the most important part, I think, of any relationship. But in regard to coaching, especially virtual coaching, it, there's, there's an even greater priority on it. Because as you said, we're not there. Um, you can't, you can't see how the athlete looks at the end of the workout. You, you can't be there to tell them, I, I don't think you should do this last interval, you know, because they've been falling off pace. Um, the, one of the biggest things that I, you know, that I, I, I guess tell or ask of, of all my athletes when I'm checking, checking in with them and I see their feedback on a workout, I just say, be honest with me. You know, be completely honest with me. If you, you know, if you were dying in the last interval of a workout, like, tell me that. Let me know. Don't, don't say, oh yeah, I felt strong just because you, you did it. I, I mean, if I, if I know that you were struggling with it, that's going to affect the decisions that I make when I write your next couple weeks of training. Um, you know, if you're, if you're feeling a little bit under the weather, I need to know that, uh, because that may have affected your workout and it may affect how I write your next, you know, your next week of training or so. So that communication is huge and it's important to be honest with your coach. I mean, a coach isn't going to be offended by that. They're going to be grateful that you gave them all the information that they needed to make an informed decision. And I can't, I, I mean, I can't stress that enough. Um, you know, that communication aspect is, is key. I mean, with, you know, I do coach, um, 
couple groups in person and, and some athletes that I work with personally and I see them on a regular basis and you know that's you know that's definitely super beneficial because I can see it for myself but still even in those situations it's important that you know you're still in touch you know kind of in between you know in between workouts and you know you're letting your coach know how well you're recovering how well you're sleeping how well you're eating um how you're feeling on you know easy days and hard days and and all that stuff I mean I think as a you know, as a, as a virtual coach, as any coach, like you, you really can't have enough information about your athletes because those, those pieces of information are what inform all of your decisions. And you brought up an interesting point there. You, you talked about, um, you know, how you're, how you're sleeping and how you're eating. And those are all those kind of lifestyle issues that have a very clear impact on your training and on your racing. But as virtual coaches, we, um, you know, I, I would say it's not something that we give enough attention to. And, you know, I remember back in college, our coach would have a specific advice at specific periods of time. You know, if it was exam time, then our training might be a little bit easier because he knew that we were under a lot of stress mm -hmm. uh, with studying for exams. Uh, and at the very beginning of cross country, you know, he would always tell the freshmen, look, <laughs> I know that you're dealing with a lot right now. You are at a new school, you're starting college, you're you know, we're asking you to do some, some, you know, challenging mileage and, and races and training. Um, but you know, you can't burn the candle at both ends. And that was a great benefit of having a coach there with you almost every day, because he also knew what you were going through, uh, just on, on a more day-to-day -day basis. And he was able to really, uh, look at us and see how we were, how we were dealing with things. And, and I think, you know, the role as coach, uh, as kind of a uh, confidant or someone who's really helping you with kind of the uh, the softer aspects of improving, you know, and that's not necessarily workouts and mileage, but mm. it's it's making sure that you're getting enough sleep and designing training to fit around your life uh, and not the other way around are just really important parts of of uh, a coach athlete relationship and something that the athlete uh, should be trying to communicate to their coach. Totally. And applying, you know, your example of your college coach knowing, you know, to like during exam time and during busy times of the year, telling you to, you know, pay attention to your sleep and pay attention to your diet. I mean, that's something as a, as a virtual coach working with adult athletes who are parents and have busy jobs and maybe traveling a lot. I mean, that's one of the biggest things that I do in addition to, into writing workouts is giving those reminders. That's coaching. You know, coaching isn't just X's and O's. It's giving that reminder of like, Hey, you're going to be, you know, on an airplane for much of the next week, make sure that you've got a bottle of water with you at all times and that you're hydrating because, you know, if you don't, that's going to affect your training. Or, you know, I know it's a very busy time at work right now and, you know, you don't have a lot of extra time on your hands, but make sure that you can prioritize sleep um, so that you can, you know, recover well from the hard training that you're doing because those things are, th those things are occurring simultaneously. And that all comes back to that communication. If your coach doesn't know that stuff, uh, you know, then they're not going to be able to adjust the training, you know, accordingly. So I think having, having that kind of dialogue, that kind of consistent dialogue is absolutely integral to a great coach athlete relationship. Okay. We talked about low hanging fruit that a coach might look at to help a, a new runner improve or, or someone who, uh, you know, hasn't been training at a high level. Mario, what are some high-hanging fruit, if I'll, if I'll use that phrase? Um, someone who's already been training at a pretty high level, um, you know, maybe they've been pretty aggressive with how they've approached their training over the last couple of years. 
What are some some more advanced uh, things that you might look at in their training to improve to help keep that consistency uh, of improvement uh, keep keeping moving forward? Yeah, I think with a lot of a lot of those athletes, one of the biggest things that you know, I, I often end up having to do is, is either holding them back or scaling them back, um, or including more rest in, in their program and, and almost overemphasizing, you know, the value of, of what we're doing in between kind of the hard workouts and the key sessions. Um, in addition to that, I think, uh, really placing an emphasis on the little things that I think we can forget about pretty easily, such as, you know, doing drills consistently, making strides a regular part of your uh, a regular part of your program, um, kind of all those things that I think a lot of more experienced runners take for granted sometimes, or say I don't need to do those things. Um, but making sure that they are, you know, that they are doing those things, that they're making sure that their easy days are easy enough, uh, making sure that there's still enough variety in their program, that it's not just, all right, well, I've got two really, really hard days per week and, you know, five really, really easy days per week. Um, again, just, you know, I don't know if, if, if this is, if this is high hanging fruit, but it's, you know, it's a stuff I find myself doing on a regular basis, you know, making sure that, you know, reminding them that rest is a part of training. It's not, you know, it's not a punishment, um, for training too hard. It's just like it, that all this stuff fits together. I don't know if that, if that answers your question, but I find with those more experienced runners, those are the things that, you know, I'm, I'm constantly, uh, harping on and emphasizing. Right. And those experienced runners, I think are also, you know, they might be more of our type A runners who, uh, yeah, I've been just hammering the mileage and the training for a long time. And, uh, I will definitely echo your sentiment there that, you know, it's often not doing more, but it's getting more out of what they've already been doing. And part of that is making sure that, you know, your recovery is really optimized. And, and I would say one of the big mistakes that I see, um, and this isn't necessarily true for, you know, just those advanced runners, but, um, it, I, I think equally affects them is simply doing your recovery runs too mm. fast and compromising recovery that way. <clears throat> you know, I think without growing up on a team, uh, without having a coach with you all the time, um, you know, we take for granted the fact that our easy days were really, really easy. And mm. when I look at, you know, the training of, you know, some, you know, a recreational runner or, or a more advanced recreational runner, you know, based on their race times and what they're capable of doing in a race situation, their easy runs are just way too fast. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, by slowing those down, you're going to be able to put a little more effort into those hard days. Uh, you're not going to be as uh, fatigued and maybe even a little burned out. And, and hopefully the, the, the faster racing will come after that. But, you know, I've definitely seen that, too. Yeah, and I've I've written about this very topic multiple times, and I I like to use you know I've been fortunate to spend a lot of time around many elite athletes and pros and be able to observe how they go about their day to day and how they structure their training and you know what they emphasize in different workouts and almost to I mean I can't think of an example otherwise but. You know, I've been around pros that I've joined on their easy days, and their easy days were a lot easier than mine were at the time, and that really told me something because they were a lot faster uh, than I was when it came down to race day. And you know, for me to be able to see that um, kind of upfront and be able to share that story 
with others and, you know, is huge. I mean, I, you know, I'm sure you can relate to this, but I've got a lot of marathoners that I coach, uh, who will go out and they will run on their quote unquote easy day, 15 to 30 seconds a mile slower than their marathon pace. I mean, they're running at 90, 95% of marathon pace. That's not, that's not necessarily easy, or maybe their marathon pace isn't fast enough. Whereas, you know, I've seen a lot of top athletes who, you know, are, are super fast. They're racing marathons between five and six minutes a mile and they're running their easy days between, you know, seven and eight minutes a mile, if not slower sometimes. Um, you know, so I think realizing that it's okay to go easy. Um, and, and that easy is probably a lot easier than you think it is. Um, but I think, you know, amongst average age group runners, there's this tendency that if I'm, you know, if I'm not pushing, I'm, I'm not improving. And I think that's one of those, you know, kind of one of those walls that just needs to get knocked down. Yeah. Let's put some numbers behind that. So Mario, when you were, let's say the year you ran your fastest marathon and Mm -hmm. what was, what's your fastest marathon time? Fast marathon is two hours, 28 minutes, 25 seconds. So that's five thirty nine per mile. Okay. And if you were going out for an easy four, five, six mile run at that time, what what kind of pace are we looking at? Um, between seven fifteen and seven thirty, almost two minutes a mile. Yeah, uh, slower than slower than what I was running at uh, for for the marathon race itself. And you know, it's again back to what I said earlier. It's you know, it's not just hard easy. I mean, it's the easy days have to be really easy, um, and there's certainly a point for hard days. But you know, you've also got to mix those kind of medium intensity days in there as well. And those have to be very deliberate. It's just when those kind of medium intensity days become the norm, uh, or you think that they're your easy days, that's, that's where a lot of runners get themselves into trouble. Yeah. And I think Jack Daniels called this gray zone training. And totally. I don't know if I'm a hundred percent believer in the concept of gray zone, but, uh, it's an instructive lesson that, you know, we just need to be a little bit more mindful of what the purpose of each day's workout is and then to act accordingly. Uh, all right, Mario, where this is interesting because you you recently started coaching uh, uh, at a new organization. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you are a co-founding member of Ikadin Coaching. Is that right? Yes, I'm I'm the founding coach and head coach of of Ikedin Coaching, uh, which is a new um, new coaching company based here out of the Bay Area where I live, and it's our you know one of our chief aims is to is to let you know let more runners know that coaching is is something that can benefit them that every athlete regardless of whether you're a beginner or you're an elite uh can benefit from coaching and deserves a coach that it's not just for the best runners um and that's really that's really what we're about okay mario let's give you an opportunity to group coach our listeners right now um i want to I want, I want you to share a lesson, a principle, maybe a reminder that you think is critical to success in running. Now, we already said consistency, so mm-hmm. uh, I'll make this a little bit more challenging. And wh- what is what is another, uh, I would say, top-level type of piece of advice that you could offer our listeners? One – yeah, if I if I had to pick one more, I would say you're only you're only as good as you recover. And we touched on this a little while ago. Um but so many it's so easy to lose sight of that as an athlete in training. Um the value of 
of recovery. And it's something I've learned myself as an athlete as I've gotten older and I've put more and more miles on my body over the years. It's just like I've, as I said earlier, I've been, I've been training and competing for 18 years. I've got a lot of miles on my body. I don't recover quite as well at 34 as I did at 24 and certainly as at 16 when I sort of first got started in the sport. So I think not losing sight of what you're doing, uh, realizing that, realizing that re- recovery and rest is a, you know, is a part of training. It's not, as I, as I said earlier, it's not a punishment, um, you know, because you've been training, you know, too little or too hard, but that it's, it's a part of training. And, and to the earlier that you can embrace that, I think the longer and more fruitful your career is going to be. I love it. Mario, thank you so much for taking some time today to share all your wisdom with us. Uh, I just want to express my gratitude for you always being so open to talk to the strength running community. I know that this is probably the third or fourth interview we've done, and you're a regular, and we love it. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for having me. Always a pleasure to be here. Hey, all. Jason here. Just a few quick things before you head out today. Uh, First, the podcast is now available on Stitcher. So if you use an Android phone, now there's a platform for you to download and subscribe all of the episodes. Just go to stitcher.com slash podcast slash the strength running podcast. And there is a hyphen in between all of the words in the strength running podcast. Subscribing on either platform, Stitcher or iTunes, is much appreciated, as always. And finally, since today's show was all about coaching, if you want to learn more about the various coaching and training programs that Strength Running offers, uh, including Team Strength Running, which uh, is where the full version of today's interview lives, just head on over to strengthrunning.com slash coaching. Thanks again for listening. I'm having a blast with the podcast, and I hope listening is half as much fun as producing it. Until next time.